Just moments after Lionel Messi, Lionel Scaloni and Salt Bay stopped celebrating Argentina's iconic World Cup win in Qatar. Thoughts turned to domestic football. No mad Christmas dashes for elite footballers. No time to make sure you've bought the batteries that you won't be able to get on Christmas Day. Although that's not true of everyone. While the great and good of world football have been duking it out in Qatar, Erling Haaland and Mo Salah have been plugged into their charging ports. And if Thursday's evidence was anything to go by, they're looking razor sharp. I'm Kevin Hatchard, and this is Football Only Better. He's got the bunting up in the bet cave, ready for the festive season. Mark O'Hare with us once again. Mark, I guess the fascinating thing overall is how this World Cup break is going to affect the momentum of the teams who are in form, like Newcastle and Arsenal, and how it potentially re-energizes struggling teams like Chelsea and Liverpool. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's something we've never experienced before. It's almost like a, a brand new campaign. Um, we were only sort of 14, 15 games deep into the season anyhow, so there's a huge amount of football still to play. I think there's an argument to say that form lines, form lines before the World Cup are, are irrelevant now because we've had such a big gap and players have been here, there and everywhere. Um, and it's almost like a fresh start for most teams. And I think it will improve certain sides. I think I uh, look at Aston Villa and think they're a side who will have really benefited from the break with Unai Emery going in there and getting the time to work with his players. He only had four of his squad away at the World Cup. Only one of them went deep into the competition. Um, and so I think that'll be a, a huge benefit for them. Obviously, if he was uh, parachuted into that position during the middle of the campaign of a normal season, it'd be very difficult to sort of spend time with his players and, and drill them in his own methods. But um, others like Graham Potter and Chelsea, I think, you know, the jury's still out there because a lot of his squad have been away at the World Cup. So this break hasn't been, you know, too beneficial, you could say. And, you know, the time he spent with his players before the break uh, was very little because Chelsea are playing games literally three times a week here, there and everywhere. So I'm um, fascinated to see how it goes. I think I'll be keeping my pad a, a little bit dry in the first week or two um, just to see how these players integrate. Um, I think Pep Guardiola was was probably using a bit of kidology in his pre-match press conference against Liverpool. He suggested that his players at the World Cup were were much more sharp than the players who had stayed behind, which is perhaps understandable. But then he did say that uh, Erling Haaland was a player who probably wasn't looking quite on his on his toes going into that game against Liverpool, but uh, evidence <laughs> suggesting right otherwise. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, very difficult to read, but um, I guess we'll, we'll learn a lot in the, on Boxing Day weekend and, and thereafter. The XG robots draped in tinsel. Jake Oskarthorpe from Infogol has the data charts out for the final time this year. Jake, in terms of looking at the outrights, has anything changed in your view? Is there anything that you think might be worth a look at going forward for this second half of the season? Yeah, for sure. I think there's there's a few. Well, one, one of them that Mark's touched on there in terms of Aston Villa being a team to to kind of get on side, I think, at this stage of the season, because um, I think we all rate Unai Emery quite highly, particularly when he's in a... Oh, we've had a shake of the head already from Stinch. Hi, Stinch. <laughs> uh, but, uh, OK, three of us... Final argument of 2022 highly. coming. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, especially when he's working for a, or managing a team that's perhaps not expected to challenge for the major honours, the kind of underdogs kind of teams. Um, you know, we saw in the... I think he managed two games pre-break against Manchester United and Brighton, won both. 
Um, you know, they were a little bit fortunate to win the games, but I thought it was really interesting the defensive figures they put up in those two matches. Conceded 0.55 expected goals and 0.8 expected goals in in the, across those two matches. So really strong defensive displays. And I think that's kind of a, a calling card of Emery whenever his teams are doing quite well. He's a really solid defence and foundation. Um, so I was looking at Villa to finish in the top half um, as one as an interesting outright uh, outright bet. I think they're currently just outside the top half right now. Um, 12th outside of it on either a point or goal difference. So they're literally within touching distance already. Um, and I think that they'll improve. Uh, the, other, the other team, I think, similar kind of uh, methodology is, is Wolves. I think Julian Lopetegui is another coach who I, I do rate quite highly as a, t- as a manager who can get the best out of potentially not the best group of players, makes the team more more than the sum of the parts. Um, and, you know, the, I, I don't think they'll go down because A, they'll spend in January and B, they've got a really solid defensive foundation. You know, they might sit bottom of the table, but based on expected goals against, they actually rank as the eighth best defensive team in the league, which is a really, really solid base for, for Lopetegui to work on. And, and I think all, all he's going to have to do at Wolves is to keep that or maintain that kind of level defensively and just try and find a way for them to create a few more chances. And then the, the wins will start coming. They'll, they'll start climbing the table. So uh, it's a short price for kind of a, I guess what we, we could call it an anti-post or a, a, you know, a long-term bet. But four to five for Wolves to stay up is, uh, for me, that's a cracking bet. I just, I can't see them going down personally. Yeah, I can certainly see the logic there. They've been linked with Mateus Cunha, and I'm sure they'll bring in uh, other reinforcements as well. He's already been trailed. Very exciting. The mathematics master, odds compiler and tipster, Mark Stint here. Stinch, I, I was going to say, just a word on the progress of outright bets you made earlier, or are there any fresh opportunities? But let's junk that. Unai Emery, do you like him or not? What do we think? I'm not his biggest fan. Um, I think he's underachieved when he's been given the the top jobs and I don't think it's that hard to be that successful at the likes of PSG and Arsenal. I would say I think he underachieved. I mean, my overriding memory really of Unai Emery is, you know, chucking away that 4-0 first leg win against Barcelona and losing 6-1 in the new Camp. Um, going a whole season once with Sevilla without winning away from home. Um, but I take everything on board about when he's given jobs, as Jake rightly pointed out, where maybe the uh, objective are less than that and he does outperform expectations. So I completely take that on board. So it's, it's not, it's not. I'm not going to be anti-Emery while he's at, at Villa. Um, it's not quite a Ranieri situation yet. <laughs> no, no, but what I would say is I'm not, Lopetegui's biggest fan either um, he was sacked from, from Porto and you have to be terrible to get sacked from Porto the way he handled the um, Spain Madrid yeah. crossover was, was, yeah was really really bad and and against him is Wolves um, fi- fixtures in uh, from Boxing Day onwards into, uh, until the end of uh, end of January. They're really not very nice. Everton away is first game. Man United home. Unai Emery's Villa away. West Ham home. Man City away. Liverpool home. So it's a real baptism of fire. I'm not a huge Mateus Cunha fan either. He's not an out-and-out goal scorer. So again, I'm still concerned about where the goals are actually going to come from. And I still can't get over the fact, you know, they loaned out their most 
best organiser communicator defensively to a relegation rival. And I just think that's the sort of fate that could actually bite you in the back at the end of the day. I mean, Frank Lampard's obviously a terrible manager as well. He's four to nine next manager to go Frank Lampard. <laughs> so that's not me. That's, that's <coughs> the you, you don't have to agree with me. Um, but what, what I would say very quickly, because, you know, we are it is betting podcast. Um, outside of the Premier League, I quite like the like of the Middlesbrough and Stockport to improve on where they're currently at. They're both outside the playoffs right now. So I'll be looking at them um, to get into the playoffs, uh, maybe to win promotion, maybe look at their um, attacking players in terms of top goal scorer. I think Tuba Apcom represents a very good bet each way. The championship outright striker is um, top goal scorer, sorry, is wide open. He's 20 to 1. I think he's uh, joint level uh, or he's just one behind at the time of recording. And they've had a real upturn in performances. I mean, they were doing quite well before under under Wilder, but they've had an even better upturn in terms of performances under Michael Carrick, Middlesbrough. And Stockport are going off odds on nearly every game. Um, they've just been a bit unlucky in terms of finishing as well. So I'd expect both of them to come really good second half of the season. Let's get into the games then. We'll start with a really intriguing game, actually. Leeds against Manchester City. Mark, we've already seen... Um, Manchester City in Carabao Cup action. It's difficult to judge, isn't it? They looked a bit frail defensively, but going forward, they looked excellent. And Kevin De Bruyne, having stunk the place out of the World Cup with Belgium, it was just his old self. He looked absolutely magnificent. Yeah, I mean, that was uh, that was kind of the, the clinching point for me to get involved in this game because before the Leeds match, I wasn't really sure where the Man City squad was at or where they would be. Obviously, they have a, a couple of extra days compared to most with this match taking place on the 28th rather than, than Boxing Day. So it allowed extra time for players from Spain, England and the Portuguese squads to get back in and integrate um, beforehand. I think it was only KDB and, and Gundivan who were being considered uh, along with Haaland and Mares. And if you looked at, at their friendly against Girona uh, a week before Boxing Day, it contained nine players who weren't at the World Cup and the three of the back four were teenagers, which is obviously quite concerning. But um, the squad and, and the team that Guardiola picked against Liverpool was was obviously pretty strong uh, on paper, and I expect them to be even stronger then for the game against Leeds, uh, with that game taking place, what, six days later, and that League Cup tie. So I think that's quite an ominous sign for Leeds, who on the paper only had three players away at the World Cup, and Christensen, Tyler Adams and Brendan Aronson. None of them went past the last 16. Um, Leeds had two weeks off after their final Premier League game, but have since been in full training. So you'd think there'd be a bit of an edge there for, for Jesse Marsh and his team. Uh, clearly playing at Ellen Road gives them an extra lift as well. But um a bit concerned about their personnel going into this match too, because Bamford's been, well, he's out, out again with uh, groin surgery. Melier's had glandular fever. He's expected to be okay, but um, that's obviously a concern. Cock and Lorenzo were injured in, in friendly games. Fierpo's not been fit either. Again, the, the team you suggests that they'll all be available for this match, but it's not ideal preparation. And I think most importantly for this game, Tyler Adams is suspended, uh, and that's an enormous blow. So you're looking at basically being under strength in both boxes and your best midfielder as well, coming against a Man City team who, let's be honest, don't take any prisoners most of the time either. So uh, they look good going forward. And if Haaland is in any way near that form he showed on Thursday night, I think this could be uh, ominous, really. So um, Leeds have lost seven of 10 games against teams in 14th and above this season. Uh, City have dropped points just once against the bottom half. So, you know, any other weekend, um, I'd be sort of avoiding um, backing any team away from home at the 
on handicaps or odds on favourites uh, you know, this this particular weekend. But it, it's uh, I think Man City being able to play this game on the 28th and having those players back in the fold, I think there's a good argument to say that City minus one and a half in the Asian handicap at 1.82 is a is a reasonable play to have here. I think they can score two, three goals here quite comfortably and uh, and win the game with it, with room to spare. Yeah, Stinch leads under. Marcelo Bielsa certainly struggled against the big hitters and had some pretty hefty defeats. Are we tending this way under Jesse Marsh as well, or do you think they can give Manchester City a few problems? Yeah, I'm with Mark. I think this is arguably the the better of the the Premier League calendar, just uh, with the fact of all of Leeds' issues in terms of personnel. I mean, you only have to look at the the last two meetings against Man City to see they lost 11-0. So I don't think we're asking too much for City to win by two or more goals. And generally, I mean, it's at 1.85 on the exchange. Generally, you know, when we're discussing Man City, we're looking at handicaps at two and a half, two, two and a quarter. So I really think don't think the market's caught up, probably because this game, as Mark says, is a few days after Boxing Day. So most of the attention is on the Boxing Day game. So I would expect this price to come in absolutely Um you know, Leeds are by far the most affected side in the league in terms of number of absentees or doubts at the moment with the, with 11. You've got Rodrigo, uh, unlikely uh, top scorer this season with nine. You know, he's sort of had a renaissance. He's actually seems to have hit some of the potential he perhaps showed at uh, Benfica. Um, Mark mentioned Tyler Adams. His, his numbers defensively are really, really good. He's the most active defensive player in that Leeds team. He averages uh, six combined tackles, interceptions and clearances per game. And he also commits the most fouls. And I think that's crucial in terms of actually breaking up the play. You know, even if he mistimes one of these tackles, actually probably quite good if, you know, if De Bruyne or somebody's in transition. So that's a big miss, as Mark pointed out. Uh, Luis Sinestro, who seemed to start it quite well when he has been available. Again, he's another one out. He's he's um, there's only three players in Leeds squad that scored more than one goal this season uh him rodrigo and somerville so that's two misses there in terms of the goals and i seem to talk about it every week when discussing leads but patrick bamford for i don't know three years four years how many years has he been unavailable it's it's a real shame yeah yeah, really yeah, yeah, sad. yeah. Huge Bamford fan. I mean, it's fantastic his first season, wasn't he, in the Premier League? Really, really good. Fitted into that Bielsa style of play fantastically because there was question marks whether he could adapt to the Premier League and he sh- showed everybody wrong. I think he'd had a few critics because he'd been on loan to so many different clubs. But yeah, really, really disappointed for him. You know, he was on the cusp of the England squad as well. So yeah, and then on the flip side of that, you've got a fully rested Erling Haaland who uh, obviously with Man City having a, a warm-up game or, or almost, you know, a competitive game, I think is actually quite crucial ahead of uh, ahead of this game at Ellen Road, where, you know, as we've already mentioned, they have got a decent rest again. So, yeah, I, I think this, I, I think it could be a scary score. Uh, as I say, at the uh, Etihad uh, last season was uh, 7-0. And actually a couple of years ago when Leeds uh, went uh to City they were had a full list of players out uh Cock, Rodrigo, Struick, Bamford, Cooper and Calvin Phillips and they lost 7-0 there as well. So I think this could be could get quite ugly. Yeah, Manchester City won on Thursday against Liverpool by three goals to two in the League Cup. Liverpool's next game is away at Aston Villa. Jake, this is an interesting one, isn't it? Because we kind of it's difficult to judge because obviously Liverpool's players have been away at the World Cup and what have you, but it kind of reinforced what we know about Liverpool. They're great going forward at times, made lots of chances. Darwin Nunez should really have scored, but at the back, they looked hopeless. 
<laughs> yeah, that's uh, generally been the trend of the season so far for Liverpool. Uh, and the numbers are quite staggering, actually, because, you know, like to put some metrics, some expected goal figures to what you've said there, they actually rank as the best attacking team in the league based on expected goals for per game so far this season, 2.27. They're actually they're the sixth worst defensive team in the entire league through um, through this the well, up until the break, uh, allowing 1.66 expected goals against per game. So, you, you know, the, the, this is one kind of occasion where the the numbers back up the eye test, which back up the actual numbers. Um, so everything's kind of all lined up in terms of where everyone sees Liverpool right now. Um, and I think I think this game's a real problem for Liverpool because, as I mentioned before, Emery is generally a very solid defensive coach um, and he gets his team very organised. And we've seen... I thought it was really impressive. I, I know it's only two games, it's a very small sample, but he's played a Man United team who were in really good form um, heading to Villa Park and also played a Brighton team who ranked as the fourth best team in the league based on expected points and limited both to less than one expected goal, which I think is a really, really solid um, you know, foundation to build upon. And, and I guess, the, the again, the more important thing for me is that the, the flexibility tactical-wise is is really, really there with, with Emery. And it seems as though he's got the players at Villa to be able to do that. So he played... Different formations in both matches, um, which I think is you know really really key when you're playing against a big big six opponent, and also especially in this day and age where you've got the five sub rule because it means that you know Liverpool will, will be throwing players on late on in the game if if it's level, but having that kind of in game tactical nows to be able to switch things up a little bit without moving personnel and just you know making themselves even more difficult to beat, I think will be really key. Um, so yeah, you, you've got a strength on a strength in the sense that Liverpool's attack is really good, but Villa's defence and again a small sample size, but it's looking like it's it's really solid. There is the doubt over whether Emmy Martinez is, is going to have stopped partying in Argentina to be back in time for this. Um, even if he's not there, I still trust Emery's defence to kind of hold Liverpool at bay somewhat. And I think that Villa will get chances at the other end because Liverpool's defence looks equally as uh, as vulnerable as what their attack is. So I, I'm I'm thinking. Um, I, I like Villa's chances of getting a result in this game. I think that this is the kind of banana skin for, for a Liverpool team who have really struggled away from home in general this season. So they've won just one of six away from home. Um, and Villa have generally been quite strong even before Emery came in. You know, they've won four of seven at Villa Park. And um, the, all the underlying numbers to me suggest that this is going to be a very, uh, it's going to be a, a game in which Villa frustrate Liverpool um, and kind of do something similar to what, um, to what they did to Manchester United in the sense of just just really putting the clamps on them and trying to stop them creating chances. And if you do that, then the chances of avoiding defeat increases. So you can get Villa right now um, plus a three quarters on the Asian handicap. So, you know, if if Villa avoid defeat, you get a full payout. If Liverpool win the game by one goal, you get a half loss. There's a little bit of insurance there. Um, and that, that to me looks like a, a decent way in here, just purely because of Everything we've seen from Liverpool's defence, I, I just think that there's every chance Liverpool score, uh, Villa score at least once. And if they do that, I think the, the chances of avoiding defeat are quite high. Yeah, Mark, I wondered with this one whether BTTS was a decent shout because we know Liverpool have this incredible ability to create chances. But as Jake says, yes, Unai Emery has managed to lock things down defensively, but Villa have actually looked quite decent going forward. Lots of different scorers have uh, been scoring in every game. I know, again, very small sample size. But Emery, I think, does get pigeonholed sometimes as somebody who's very pragmatic, but actually can play front foot football. He can. He's got great recent experience as well of playing Liverpool as an underdog as well, of course, with Villarreal. So, um, 
don't want to read too much into what happened beforehand because Liverpool have got a very different squad probably available for this match than they did, let's say, six, seven weeks ago. But um, they did come into the break with just one away Premier League win all season and one away Premier League clean sheet as well. So I think from a Villa perspective, there's, you know, they should be bullish about this game. They should be confident about trying to go out there and get a result. I mentioned at the start of the show, I think they could be one of the chief beneficiaries of the mid-season break and look, Emi Martinez, his absence would be a, a massive blow. I don't expect him to play, but, um, you know, Olsen, not exactly a, on the same sort of scale of, of a goalkeeper as a reserve, but um, I think the benefit is he'd be training with that squad, training with that back four now for, for a good few weeks in preparation for this game, you know, with a probably idea that he might be starting. So it's not like you're switching goalkeepers mid-season um, and he's got to suddenly integrate into that team and, and that defence. So there's a positive there and Villa have been playing a few friendlies and reports have been very positive as well about their performances. And, you know, I can't, forget what they did against Man United in his first game in charge at Villa Park. They were they were exceptional and, and they weren't sort of that defensive dogged team. They were very front foot in that game and, and really went for the throat from the off. And, you know, Emery's record of, of playing the underdog role, setting his side up to, to whether it's to stifle opponents or perfect a game plan to maximise his own team strengths is, is second to none, really. So, um, yeah, I do think this is a, a bit of a banana skin for Liverpool, um, particularly with, with Jota and Luis Diaz missing Darwin off colour again midweek. But, um, yeah, I mean, ordinarily, I'd look at that Liverpool price and gobble it up every day of the week. But this isn't an ordinary week. And, um, you know, this is it's almost like the first game of the season again. So that does put me off a little bit. And I would probably be siding more on Villa's side than, than Liverpool at the prices with a half goal star, as Jake has done with a, with a three quarter of a goal star. Yeah, one thing I was looking at uh, in preparation for this, because I've written the preview for this on our website, betting.betfair.com, was looking at Darwin Nunez and how many shots he has. He has more <laughs> shots per 90 than anyone in the Premier League this season. He's something like 5.81 shots per game. So if you wanted to throw Darwin Nunez having a few shots into a bet builder, I wouldn't put you off. And on that subject, on Boxing Day, specifically on Boxing Day, you can get a completely free £2 multiple or bet builder bet on any sport. Maximum of one £2 free bet per customer applies to any multiple or bet builder on any sport. Minimum combined odds 1.5 eligibility criteria and T's and C's apply. As London Derby as Crystal Palace face Fulham. Stinch, Palace are the clear favourites here according to the market, but is that something you agree with? Um, I think it's fine to have them as favourites. I still kind of consider Fulham, well, they are a promoted team, but I don't treat them as someone that's, um, you know, been in the Premier League a few seasons and a stable team. We know they're very yo-yo. So still think of them as a promoted team. We obviously, had, we're not even halfway through the season. So again, we still got, a, we've still got a decent sample size, but not, not, a, not an enormous one. So I'm happy to rely on longer term data and the fact that Palace are the better team, I do think overall they do have the better players. So, yep, I think the prices in terms of the match odds are absolutely fine. And um, the bet I was looking at here was um, the the goal line because it's uh, it's been actually set as uh, under two and a half as the favourites. And I think anyone that's watched Fulham or noticed Fulham's results this season, it's it's been in the exact opposite. Uh, Twelve of the last thirteen games have been over two point five goals. 
Um, they've been good going forward. I think we've been quite surprised. Um, didn't do too much activity transfer-wise in the summer, but Mitrovic is actually a bit like maybe we sort of talked about Bamford earlier. He's found his potential in the Premier League. He's been a very good focal point for them. Went into the World Cup with a bit of, with a fitness issue, but he played really well in the World Cup. Um, so I think he'll be uh, fit, raring, ready to go against a Crystal Palace side that's only kept one clean sheet at home this season and only three overall, which not really what we associate with them before Patrick Vieira. We, you know, under Hodgson, we remember them in this tight, compact team now, but under Vieira, a lot more expansive, and which is good uh, for them going forward, but also maybe slightly problematic defensively. So, yeah, I like to look at over two and a half goals as it's the, the outsider here at, at 10 to 11. I mean, Fulham themselves are conceded at least two goals in eight of their last 10 matches as well, which is kind of in keeping with the Crystal Palace here at evens. And if you look at the Premier League average this season in terms of goals, 2.87 per game. So, you know, quite healthy over two and a half. And that's up on the 2.82 from, from last season. Obviously, it is uh, it is an increase. Um, I wouldn't read, uh, obviously, lots into that. We all know this is a unique season. And we're just coming back off, uh, off a World Cup. So I would be cautious staking in terms of betting um, goal-heavy games because it might take some teams that haven't played in the AFL Cup, for example, a little bit of time to, to acclimatise. I know these teams have played friendlies, but we, we all know you can't really read really too much into friendlies. So I would prefer to rely on sort of, you know, long-term knowledge and we do know that sometimes matches right after international breaks can throw up something unexpected but at the odds um yeah i like over two and a half goals because it's the outsider here jake what do you make of palace because obviously they've had this big transition from what they played under roy hodgson which was effective but very boring at times as we know (laughs) patrick vieira's obviously tried to bring in this more expansive style but where are they at what progress have they actually made? Do you think? Um, well, they. I think we we talked about it quite a lot in last season's shows that the fact that that the progress they made between Hodgson leaving and Vieira coming in until the end of last season was astronomical. Really, from a from an eye test, from an underlying data perspective, they literally improved from a relegation candidate to a top six contender. Now that that kind of trajectory has kind of plateaued a little bit. Not really kicked on. If anything, they've got a slightly worse this season. From a, Was that a always going to happen, though, given that other teams are obviously spending a fortune and Palace can't really do that? Yeah, I think, I think. well, in my opinion, it was always, I, I fancy them to finish in the top half. I still think they will finish in the top half. But, um, you know, I was expecting them to be maybe a little bit closer to the likes of Brighton in, which, in what they were doing, especially, you know, given the, the kind of youthful talented players that they brought into the squad and that they're integrated now into the first team likes of Elise who are getting more game time um, but it's not quite happened this season they've not really kicked on in the way in which I kind of hoped I think part of that's down to the schedule because they had a really really tough start to the season they played Arsenal, Liverpool, Man City, Newcastle away in the first six matches which is quite a tough tough start and then obviously Chelsea in, in there as well um, so I think the schedule kind of eases up a little bit for them over this um, the next you know, however long now, well, they've got they've got Fulham, Bournemouth back to back. So in theory, that should be, um, you know, two very winnable games before playing Spurs. Um, so yeah, I think I think they'll come good eventually, and and I think this break's going to have done them quite a lot of good because it'll give them a bit more time to get some players back fit. Um, you know, Decore, who's been who was a, was a big big blow um, when he got injured pre pre break. 
um, but also get them used to playing that kind of more expansive system um, because the last season it was more of a 4-2-3-1. This season it looks to be more of a 4-3-3 with a few more attacking players in there. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm still quite quite high on Palace's chances. I think that the work that Vieira's done, as I've said, from, from the transition, just, just purely based on the, the eye test and the way in which they're playing football right now is just so much better than, than the stale Hodgson. Um, and, yeah, the data is still standing up quite nicely. So, um, I, I really like Stinch's overs betting this. I think it's got a great chance of coming in. But I, I'm quite happy to just take Palace to win the game um, at 2.14 currently on the exchange. So they generally have, even last season, done their best work at home. Um, the underlying process at home is positive. This season, it's not as positive as last season. But if we look at the, you know, if we remove the kind of big six opponents they've faced at Selhurst so far this season, they've won four, drawn one of their five, uh, and averaged 1.6 expected goals for 1.3 again. So they're actually, when they're playing against non-big six teams at home, they are generally quite, or they assert the dominance a little bit more. Um, and, you know, you, they're playing against a Fulham team who I think we've all been fairly impressed by Generally, um, you know, they're obviously quite a lofty position at the table, but defensively they've been pretty awful um, from an underlying numbers perspective. They're conceding loads of chances, 2.2 expected goals against per away game. Um, so hence, you know, why the overs bet also appeals because they're a team that do give up so many chances because they're playing quite an attacking manner. So, um, yeah, and, and even if you look at Fulham and take their non-big, or if you take the big six teams away um, from that away record, the average is still over two expected goals against per game. So even if they're playing... The likes of City, Liverpool, uh, or you know, Southampton, or whatever, the average is still around that two expected goal against per game mark. So I expect Palace to get quite a few chances here, and I, I was surprised. I thought they were going to be closer to even money to win this game personally. Um, so I'm, I'm quite happy to take Palace to win, um, and you know, add add another win to that home record. Because you know, if, if you if you go in, if you take seven games or six games, then against non-big six teams and you've won five, drawn one, that's a really solid return and a really good foundation for a top-half finish. Stinch keen on goals. Jake keen on Palace. Mark, what's your view of this one? Uh, I'm keen on goals. Um, I think over two and a half goals on the exchange is 2.06, which just feels too big for me, uh, with the obvious caveat that it's uh, an, a game after <clears throat> a, a long extended break. But um, yeah, I've find it hard not to see this game producing a bit of bit of fun, a bit of entertainment, really, just because of Fulham's approach, which has been, you know, a sea change from what saw them being promoted from the championship. They've completely reinvented themselves as this front foot attacking animal, putting teams under pressure and, and creating chances and, you know, creating a bit of chaos as well. And sure, that leads to plenty of opportunities down their own defence, but uh, they do have players in forward areas who can cause problems against any defence, as we've already seen. And their record this season, when you exclude the top five, is 1-5, drawn four, lost just once in those 10 matches. So they'll be pretty bullish and confident about their own chances. And I think Palace, you know, for all the abandon and adventure that they play with under Patrick Vieira, you know, playing Michael Elise and, and uh, Eberichi Eze as a midfield three, um, you know, it's, it's great for us neutrals, but it does leave them a little bit open. And I think Fulham will fancy their chances here. And, you know, as Stinch has already outlined the numbers, but this is a bet that's one in 13 of Fulham's 15 games already this season. The two that didn't were nil-nil draws against Wolves and Everton, two of the lowest scoring sides and defensive teams in the first 15 games. But those two fixtures actually produced a combined expected goals total of 6.12. So there's every evidence to suggest that they probably should have gone over two and a half goals. Uh, 12 of those 15 games saw both teams scoring as well. Uh, Paris has scored in 21 of the last 26 at Selhurst going back to the start of last season. Five of the last six at home have seen both teams scoring. Stinch said, you know, they've kept one clean sheet out of Selhurst so far this season and Fulham have failed to score just twice since promotion. So I think individually and collectively, 
and just stylistically both teams strengths are in forward areas the weaknesses are in defense and um uh, yeah, I'm happy to just cheer on goals here because for me, Palace don't win enough games to be um, sort of trusted at, at the price as they are. So, you know, I can see them winning this game. Of course I can, but uh, it might be a 2-1, 3-1, 3-2, something like that. I think Fulham can absolutely contribute to the goal scoring. It sounds if you're looking at a basis for a bet builder, maybe over two and a half goals and both teams to score from what the guys are saying. And this football season, you can get a helping hand with Betfair's popular bet builder. Easily add our most popular or fan favourite football selections to your bet slip in just one tap. Teasons is in the description, 18 plus, see Gamble Aware. Org. We've got a South Coast derby to enjoy, Southampton against Brighton. Both teams have made coaching changes this season. Brighton didn't want to. Uh, Southampton very much did. I think them passing company with Ralph Hasenhutl was on the cards for quite some time. Then mixed fortunes in the League Cup in midweek as Saints went through and Brighton went out. Mark, I'll start with you. Where are we going with this one? Yeah, I'm going to get with goals again here. Um I don't think the markets have fully caught on to the fact that Brighton are being coached by Roberto De Zerbi, who um, during sort of swallow days, as people will know, were just full of goals, full of entertainment and um, just wild chaotic matches. And um, I think we can already see through his first eight matches, there's been a significant style shift from uh, Graham Potter. They are playing much more front foot. They are moving the ball quicker, more direct towards the opposition goal. That doesn't mean just lumping the ball long in the air. It's playing the ball on the deck, playing quite exciting, um, entertaining football. Um, the last four games before the break saw over two and a half goals and both teams to score bank. They've managed just one clean sheet in eight since De Zerbi took charge. But they are creating chances. They are looking to attack teams. And I think they will do so at St. Mary's. And I think they will score. Um, but I also wouldn't have too much confidence in them keeping the back door shut, even against Saints, who, let's be honest, it's they've got to start playing their way out of trouble because they are in a bit of a... A bit of it. They have had issues defensively, most importantly. And um, Nathan Jones said as much after the the cup game midweek. He said it's a, a huge task to overhaul that defence. It's not going to happen overnight. And fans just need to stay with him and stay with him and, and the project because it's going to be it's going to be difficult. And um, I just think Boxing Day. I know they're not exactly you know local rivals, but regional rivals, you could say. And I just think um, home teams on Boxing Day tend to come out firing. And I think Saints will do so. Uh, they lost three one before break against Liverpool um, they did manage to get on the score sheet but they gave up countless opportunities and that would be the concern about being pro Southampton in any game right now is their, their weak defence but um, yeah I think they can get on the score sheet here Brighton have conceded at least two goals in each of the last five away games in the Premier League but they have scored in 21 of 26 away in the Premier League going back to the start of last season which is a tremendous record for a team of their stature so um, BTTS has copped an eight to Saints last nine. They scored themselves in 21 of 26 at St. Mary's going back to the start of last season. You look at the both teams to score records um, since the start of last season, 65% win rate for Saints at home, 62% for Brighton away. Um, I think BTTS is absolutely going to be on the cards here. But I think over two and a half goals, again, an odds against price, 2.02 is, is the way to go. So happy to cheer on goals. Stinch, would you be of a similar mindset there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just want to touch on Brighton's odds um, quickly because I think in any other stage of the season, Brighton should be the the bet here. You know, Brighton minus a quarter is, is just under even money at one point nine five. 
they are they are the better team. They do have the better players. You know, Southampton are in a relegation fight for a reason. So I think ordinarily Brighton would be the bet. But with Brighton having so many players at the World Cup, and it's not something you'd ever expect to have said, you know, five, six, seven years ago. Uh, you know, Sarmiento, Trossard, Moises Caicedo, McAllister, obviously a World Cup winner, Matoma. Uh, he was Lamptey. brilliant as well, wasn't he, Matoma? He yeah, really, really, dis- good. really disappointed that he didn't start more, but there we go. Uh, Tarek Lamptey, Robert Sanchez, you know, so they had a lot, a lot of players away at the World Cup. So that would be my concern about backing them. So, yeah, like we know the style of football Mark outlined under the Zerbi. So, yeah, very happy to, to back goals as the outsider. Um, 26 goals in Deserby's eight games. You're looking at 3.25 per game. Expected goals is above three per game. So the, what we've seen happening is is true to form. But the odds suggest here that you just you would expect to see just 2.65 goals in this particular game. So happy to happy to back it. I know it's a reasonably short sample size, but we we know past behaviour of Deserby side. So we can use that data in our favour, I believe, because his first eight games have shown a very similar uh, template. And I do think Southampton are vulnerable. I'm not convinced Nathan Jones is is the right man. Nothing against Nathan Jones himself. But I think his his time at Stoke was very disappointing for him. I don't think he was able to get everybody on board. And he's proved at Luton, I think, in that smaller uh, club that with when you can get players on your side, I think you can perform above your expectations or the, or the club's expectations. I just worry that, you know, Saints players that uh, have been bought for a lot of money or come from, you know, um, big clubs, for example, won't want to get down and knuckle down and get on his wavelength. So I am concerned. Um, but although he did go, to, they did go to Anfield and they, they created nearly 1.5 expected goals in his opening game. So if that's anything to go by, maybe they'll be quite fun. Um, they conceded almost three at the other end. But obviously, that is against a top quality team in Liverpool. Um, so, you know, maybe we're... Uh, taking a bit of a leap of faith here with just one game to go off. But at the end of the day, everything is driven by the odds. And as Mark mentioned, it's an odds against price of over two and a half goals. So given Brighton's nature, I do think long term, if you're backing over two and a half goals in Brighton games, at odds against prices, you will make a long term profit. Jake, I'm going to move you on to Everton against Wolves. You've mentioned Wolves already uh, with Julian Lopetegui going in there. So it's his first uh, Premier League game in charge. Uh, Of course, we're all massive fans of Frank Lampard on the show. I think that's been proven (laughs) over a long period of time. Um, So how do you see this one going? Because this feels like a massive game. Yeah, it's it's a big game for, for both teams. You know, we've... We're still not halfway through the season, but it does feel as though this could be a tipping point for one or the other. Um, you know, if, if Wolves feels go there, like we've only got about five games to go. <laughs> I feel like this season's gone on for three years already. You're not wrong. <laughs> I think football has been unrelenting, hasn't it, for about four years? So, um, yeah, yeah the, the, this is kind of. Um, I think it's bigger for Everton than it is for Wolves. This game. Um, I know what Stinch is saying about Wolves having a fairly tough fixture list coming up, but um, you know, if if Everton were to lose this, then all of a sudden the gap to Wolves is one point. And Lampard, who, as Stinch has already said, is really short favourite to be the next manager to go, will probably get the chop at some point. Um, and yeah, I, I can see Wolves getting a result. I really can. I think I've not seen a lot or enough um, from Everton so far this season to suggest that they're going to be any better than last season. Because the only thing that saved them last season really was the strong home form, because they, you know, they won quite a few at the back end of the season. Um, the underlying performances were really strong at Goodison Park as well. So it wasn't as though those results were kind of 
fluky. There were a couple of fluky ones in there, but generally they they batten down the hatches. They were difficult to beat and they created a couple of good chances and won games uh, narrowly. That's not the case this season. So their, their home process this season is at 1.1 expected goals for 1.5 again. So they've actually got worse playing at so home. So what's gone wrong then? Is it is it the defensive part of it or is it just they hit, they hit a spell where they needed results, the crowd got behind them, because the Goodison crowd's good. Let's be fair. They they can make a massive, tangible difference. But what's what's gone west since then? <clears throat> um, well, they had a really tough run of fixtures in the middle part of this season. So, obviously, they played Liverpool, West Ham, uh, Man United, Spurs, Newcastle in a six-game period. Um, you know, he kind of expected them not to pick up too many points in that run. But the the resulting run is is what's the you know the biggest concern you know they beat Crystal Palace that was probably one of the better performances of the season um, and then you know nil nil away at Fulham that they should have lost lost to Leicester at home in a game which conceded a lot of good chances and then to go to Bournemouth and lose three nil was you know is, is that a sackable offence on the spot I mean you know, <laughs> it, I think they lost four did lose four one in the Carabao Cup as well the, the you know so he got done by Bournemouth seven one on aggregate so. <laughs> Yeah, if there was ever a time to sack your manager, I'm not saying this just because you know, I'm not a massive Lampard fan, but that that was the perfect opportunity to kind of get rid, get a new manager in for this month off, uh, and and go again. And, and it seems like they've missed the boat in that. And if if Wolves beat them at the weekend, then it could be a case that Lampard's in really really short one to four to be sacked. He goes, and all of a sudden he's scrambling around trying to find a manager who's got no time to work the players. So, um, but yeah, generally the the defense has been the main problem. To answer your actual question, Kev. <laughs> got off tangent a little bit there and Lampard well also yeah, you go yeah. back to Chelsea I mean I know this this show is always a Lampard slagging session I know but let's if you go back to Chelsea it's exactly the same wasn't it he couldn't organise a defence yeah yeah and there was a lot of talk um, you know I think they racked up three or four draws in a row and they were looking quite tight and good defensively uh, there was a lot of talk about how the business in the sun was brilliant with Tarkovsky and Cody coming in it wasn't they just got really lucky in that period to, to not concede more goals Um their average, uh, you know, expected goals against is, is still extremely high to the point where it is relegation worthy. Absolutely, and um, I, I, that's ultimately what's going to come back and bite them. They're the, the shipping way too many good chances, and and in forward areas, they're just so unreliable. You know, from a from a personnel perspective, but also from a chance creation perspective. I mean, Calvert Lewin is is the new Patrick Bamford, isn't he? He's just you know he's in for a couple of games, looks great, and then he's out yeah. injured. Um, and then you rely on the likes of Dwight McNeil and Damari Gray to to you know, these kind of players that are, I don't want to be too disrespectful, but they're bottom half prem, top half championship kind of players. They're not really the kind of players that are going to single-handedly drag you to, you know, to safety. A bit like a Richarlison did last year, who's shown that he is much better than what Everton were. So, um, yeah, I think this is a really good spot for Wolves to find themselves in, um, particularly because, you know, the general negative feel around Everton heading into, um, you know, the break after the, those bad defeats. Uh, the Lampard issue, the fact that they're struggling to create chances, the fact that Wolves defensively, even before Lopetegui, were pretty tight from, an, from a, a chance concession perspective. And Lopetegui is probably going to turn up at Goodison Park, play a little bit of a difficult to beat, try and frustrate, get the crowd on Everton's backs and uh, and look to hit on the counter-attack. And I think that, that, that Wolves have got the players to be able to do that. And, and even if they went and dominated the football, you know, you've still got the likes of Ruben Neves, you know, is he going to come straight back into the fold after the World Cup? You'd expect so because he's such a good player. Um, and and they, those kind of players, it, it wouldn't surprise me if they thrived in a kind of Lopetegui system where, um, you know, the, the, the possession stats may be low some games, maybe high the others. Um, but yeah, I, I just think the the market, in my opinion, is, is just a little bit too strong on Everton to win this game at 2.44. 
I think they should be probably close to 2.6. So, um, you know, a couple of ways you can go about it if you like. If, if you really don't like Everton, then I would just say back Wolves to win because I think that they've got every chance of going there and doing a kind of Nuno-esque 1-0. Um, but alternatively, you can take Wolves uh, plus a quarter on the Asian handicap, which is probably my favourite bet, one of my favourite bets of the week, which is half win if Wolves avoid defeat, uh, full win if Wolves go there and win. Um, and I'd be hugely surprised if um, if a Lopetegui Wolves team goes there and loses. I think he's got a really tremendous record. Um, I know it's not the start of the season, but at Sevilla, he had a really, really good record at the start of campaigns. So after he'd had a, long, like, a decent spell to work with players, I think he only lost one of twelve, one of uh, twelve over a three three season period or something like that. So they usually start quite well and they generally finish quite well. Do severe, so it would be surprised to see them get off to a quite a hot start, which is quite you know it'd be good for Wolves given the schedule, as Mark said, is is quite um is is quite tough coming up. So the fact that they, he generally can get his teams ticking early um, could be a massive positive for their survival hopes. I feel like last season with Sevilla, they started ever so well and there were people talking about them as outside title contenders at one stage and then slowly, obviously, they regressed to the mean, but they did make ever such a good start. Uh, West London takes on North London. Really interesting derby. I think that kicks us off on Boxing Day. It's the lunchtime kickoff between Brentford and Spurs. Mark, difficult to get a handle on Spurs, isn't it, sometimes because... Antonio Conte, in general, there's no question whatsoever he's improved them. They do throw in a few wonky performances, don't they? I know that's a technical term, an analysis term, wonky, but they're, but they, they're not quite as consistent as Conte would like them to be. No, definitely not. Um, and I would be nervous about backing them at odds on quotes to go away to Brentford and win in this match. Uh, I found them difficult to trust before the break, and I still find them a little bit difficult to trust. And, um, you know, they did have a, a pretty exhausting six-week spell before the World Cup where they had to play 13 matches in just 43 days, which clearly isn't ideal for a for a coach like Conte who likes his time with his players. But then 11 of the squad went off to the World Cup. Nine of them played regularly. Um, still, the jury's out on whether Lloris, Romero and Perisic will be available for, for Boxing Day. Um, obviously went to the, the semi-final stage and the third, fourth players in the final uh, Richarlison is injured. Rodrigo Bentancourt is injured and suspended, so he's definitely not met playing. Um, and Harry Kane, there's talk of him returning to training. Has he returned? Has he is he returning today? We don't really know, but I'd expect him to play. That's by the reports we're sort of hearing from the Spurs camp is Kane will play, and at least Kulusevski is fit because he's been integral to to everything that's been positive about Tottenham uh, under. Yeah, Conte. that's massive, isn't it? Kulusevski being fit. I mean, he was it against Liverpool. I think he came on. Yeah, and the the entire game changed. Like just the vibe of the crowds. He was making things happen, trying things, being unpredictable. It, he's hugely important already for them, isn't he? Yeah, massive. And uh, it's not just him either. Son will be fit and available as well, which is uh, a big a big plus as well. He's not had a great campaign so far, but you know a bit of a reset or a restart now after the World Cup. There's hope that he might be able to to find his form more consistently. So going forward, I don't think there's any problem about Tottenham, but defensively is where the surprising, I guess, on the Conte has been where the, the errors have been occurring because they've only kept four clean sheets all season. They went, to the, went into the break with just three wins from eight on the road. They only managed three wins as well. So yeah, very difficult to trust. And I would be pro-Brentford. Um, you can get them plus half a goal and nearly even money, which I thought was absolutely fine. But instead, I'm going to back both teams to score in this match because... Um, Spurs have only failed to score once in 15 Premier League games this season, but Brentford have only failed to score four times. Um, both teams have only kept four clean sheets all season. 
combine their both teams to score records in the Premier League, you get getting a, a 19 from 30 hit rate, which is 63%. You can get both teams to score in this game at around 1.8 on the exchange, which does appeal. Um, Brentford are, are sat in 10th in terms of points earned, but 8th on expected points. So tracking pretty well, along with their actual results. Their home record is always pretty strong. They always tend to give the big six teams a good game. In Hounslow, their fitness uh, or their squad is looking pretty pretty decent after the, the break. They've got a lot of injured players back and available. Ivan Tony will play. He's not been suspended yet. And I think there's a, a player and a character who will have a point to prove, as he showed at the Etihad before the break when Brentford went to Man City and won, which I had to remind myself on when I was trying to prepping prepping for this game. Completely forgot that Brentford won at Man City. Um, so yeah, I, I think they'll be up for this and I think they'll fancy those chances because there's there won't be a, a better time really to play Spurs, I think, this season coming off a, a long break when a number of their key players are either missing or won't be at 100% either. So uh, I think both teams score, but um, if you want something a bit, a bit bigger than the, the 1.8, I think Brentford double chance and both teams to score comes in at 6-4 to four on the bet builder, which uh, is quite appealing too. Jake, you want us to take a look at Manchester United against Nottingham Forest. That's on the 27th, that game. Yeah, I I think this is a decent spot for Man United. Um, I was really surprised, you know, that they're, they're obviously, they're doing okay fifth in the league, but they've won four of six home games. I was really surprised to, to you know, looking back at the, the home games that they played and that they'd won, just how difficult their schedule has been at Old Trafford so far this season. Um, they play Brighton, who obviously sit fourth based on expected points, seventh in the table. Liverpool, sixth in the table. They played Arsenal, who obviously lead the league. Newcastle, who are third. Spurs, who played at home as well, who are who are in fourth. Um, and West Ham, who are you know they're 16th in the league right now, but they're eighth based on expected points. So they're a bit of false position. Obviously finished seventh last season. They've had a really really difficult start to the season from a fixture perspective at home. And this is the first kind of home game against a. I guess relegation candidate that they that they're going to have, and um, I think this is an opportunity for them to really not make a mark because it's, it's Nottingham Forest and you kind of expected to win, but at least win quite handily. Um, so looking Asian handicap and Man United to win and cover a, a one and a half handicap at one point nine four appeals quite a lot. Um, you know, they, they are a work in progress, United. I, I think we can all agree that they've definitely improved from the start of the season yeah. into in terms of just general structure, um, the the patterns that they're that they're playing with. The defense well, they have a structure, so that's a start. Yeah, that that <laughs> helps. Um, that does help. Uh, uh yeah, and, and I think that the Ronaldo not being there is definitely going to be a massive positive for the rest the rest of the of the campaign because you know he's a, he's a massive ego and generally all the spotlights on him, all the attentions on him. We saw it at the World Cup when he was named on the bench. No reporters were anywhere near Portugal players, he was just on the bench taking pictures of Ronaldo. That, that's the kind of thing that um, you know, it takes the attention off everyone else. If he storms off, then the story's not, oh, United were brilliant. It was Ronaldo stormed off. So I think that kind of, that's going to breathe new life into this young Manchester United team. And yeah. um, I think they'll, I think they'll be absolutely ready to, ready to go on this, um, in this festive fixture list because they've, they've got a, quite a kind schedule to start. Um, but Forrest, they, they showed a little bit of, um, a little bit of a turnaround, I guess, pre-break, winning a couple of matches, uh, lost one of six across all competitions now. But away from home, they are absolutely terrible. Um, they've scored just once away from home, conceded over 2.1 expected goals against per away game. They definitely, definitely a bit like the kind of the, the Brentfords and the Palaces that when they play at home, they're a completely different team to when they're travelling. Um, and if they carry on conceding the same amount of chances as they have been, then this could 
not quite get as ugly as, as what the lads think City and Leeds is going to get, but I think it could be one of those games that's a 2-0, 3-0. Um, you know, it's not so long ago that they went away to Arsenal and got absolutely hammered 5-0. I'm not saying United are going to do that to them, but I do think that they could cover a handicap. You know, Leeds beat the Leicester beat them 4-0, City beat them 6-0. So kind of puts into perspective just, just how poor defensively they are. And I think Newcastle also covered the handicap at home against Forest as well on the first day of the season. So quite like the look of United minus one and a half. Um, yeah, 1.94 on the exchange. That'll do me. Now, dear listener, I know that during the World Cup there was this nagging feeling for you. You felt something was missing. You might not have spoken about it to family members or loved ones, but you knew deep down there was something missing in your life. The World Cup was fun. Of course it was. The final was great. But all the while, while you were watching Messi with the World Cup, you are thinking, no, it's not quite 100% for me. Something is missing. Do you want to know what it was? You didn't have Scott watch. That's what it was. But it's back. <laughs> Marco Hare. Give the people what they want. Well, um, you've got to be quick for this one because it's on Friday night. So it's a quick turnaround uh, from recording this podcast. But um, going to the best league in the world, which is Scotland's League 2, for the, <laughs> for the fancy clash yes. between Elgin and Sterling uh, on Friday night. <laughs> um, this league is averaging 3.04 goals per game, as you all know, because we cover it so regularly. 61% of fixtures in the league have featured three goals or more. We can get over two and a half goals in this match at 1.83 on Betfair Exchange, which is uh, very much appealing because we've basically got two of the, the sharpest shooters in the league going head to head. Between them, the pair have played 32 league games. They've scored in 28 of them and they've scored twice or more in 20 of those 32 games, which is a, a 63% hit rate. For scoring two goals or more. Uh, Elgin a third. Uh, their matches are returning the highest goals per game figure in the league at 3.69. Overall, 13 of those 16 games have gone over two and a half goals and 12 have seen both teams scoring. So despite sitting in third, they've only recorded two clean sheets all season and they have the fourth worst defence in the league. They're playing Sterling, who are placed above them in second. They are the top scorers in the league. Their games average 3.31 goals. 11 of 16 have gone overs. 11 of 16 have seen BTTS as well. And despite sitting just four points off the top, They've managed the two clean sheets themselves all season and neither of which came away from home as well as they will be on Friday night. So uh, over two and a half goals and both teams scoring has combined to win in 21 of their 32 fixtures, which is 66%. Uh, we're getting 1.83 on just the game featuring over two and a half goals here, which uh, looks a, a stonking bet to great value in Scotland's League 2 again. I feel all warm and fuzzy now that Scott Watch is back. Uh, now it's time for the final podcast treble of 2022. It's a betting feature so revered that Santa himself once fell down the chimney because he was trying to put the details into the Betfair app. The safety message to all of you listening is to make sure that while you're using the app, don't try and deliver presents to the children of the world at the same time. It's not safe. Park the sleigh and then you can put whatever betting that you want. How this works is each of the guys have a selection uh, ahead of the weekend's action and our lovely traders wrap them up in a boosted treble. Stinch, it's been a while since we heard from you, so let's start with you. I said it earlier on in the show, I think at the beginning, I think Man City minus one is is definitely the best bet of the calendar uh, over Boxing Days uh, and the other two days. With all of Leeds' absentees, I think it could get very, very ugly and you might actually maybe want to look down the Haaland route, route uh, 11 to 5 for two or more goals uh, and then you can look further 7 to 1 for the hat-trick. Jake, let's move on to you. Um, I've, I feel 
Mark's going to go in the Palace game, so I'll I'll take Wolves or the draw. Rather oh, here we go again. Yeah, we're playing Mystic chess. Bag. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take Wolves or the draw against Everton. I just think I think Everton. Um, yeah, they're, they're in serious trouble. And I think this Wolves team will be going there to, uh, at the very least, keep a clean sheet and avoid defeat. It wouldn't be a podcast treble without a bit of Oscar Thorpe psychodrama. Uh, Mark? <laughs> I will put up both teams to score in Brentford against Tottenham. Oh, throwing a curveball at me. Okay. okay. Nice and easy. Nice and easy. Uh, That's all we have time for on our final Football Only Better of 2022. Please do remember to gamble responsibly. Thanks to all of you listeners and viewers for your support this year. We hope you've enjoyed the show as much as we've enjoyed making it. And thanks to all of the uh, producers, the tipsters and the traders too. From Mark, from Stinge, from Jake and from me. Have a happy new year and a great Christmas and it's goodbye until 2023.